Welcome to the Orange Silicon Valley BistroCast, the podcast about what's new, what's coming, and what connects people in the world of tech. I'm Brian Warmoth, the content lead here at Orange Silicon Valley. This week, our guest is Sarah Luger. Sarah is our leading resident expert on natural language processing and artificial intelligence here at OSV. And she's here today to talk about all of the places that it's going in workplaces and homes, as well as how human software interfaces are evolving. First off, Sarah, thanks for coming and sitting down. I know you're very busy these days. Thank you for carving out the time to come sit here for the podcast. Thank you, Brian. This is exciting. <laughs> I'm glad you're excited about it. Um, maybe you can tell me, I, you've had a pretty impressive career working in different soft, on some different software projects. Can you tell me what you've worked on and how you've seen AI influence both software and our expectations for it? Uh, thank you. Yeah, so... I have worked on a few different interesting projects that touch on the depth and breadth of artificial intelligence's natural language processing domain. And these include things that have to do with text and spoken words. So natural language processing is an attempt to understand what people are saying and what people are writing. It is a subdomain of AI, but what that means from a career perspective is that I've worked on IBM Watson when I was a graduate student. I did some very specific, detailed work on bodies of water and mountain ranges, how they were dealt with in Watson, so that gives you a great understanding that I was one of hundreds of researchers, and it was a multi-million dollar project over many years, and they had individuals and experts working on this that uh, had much, some really world, world-class world experts. That must have been a remarkable team to talk to uh, as you're getting through the early doors of uh, yes. figuring out where the horizons lie with that kind of project, huh? It was great, but it also reminded me that um, I had a PhD thesis to finish up, and IBM was really kicking the butt of a lot of the big problems, and <laughs> mm-hmm. so I had to find a niche to work on. Yeah. After uh, getting my PhD, I worked on a lot of different sentiment analysis, topic identification tasks, writing suggestions. This is something that's akin to Grammarly, which many of you may have used. Mm-hmm. Also, automated replies. So these are now quite common. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn, Google, many of our phones and devices, uh, email as well have automated replies, but when I was working on it, it was pretty cutting edge. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different projects, but I'm really excited to be here at Orange Silicon Valley because the languages, the natural languages, Mm -hmm. and the technology stack that you all have is fantastically large and uh, full of a bunch of challenges. I see. How do you understand artificial intelligence and natural language processing now? Do you understand it in a different way? Or how would you distinguish what your impressions of it were in the early days, like say in your Watson days, versus the state of play now in the technology landscape? I think one way that uh, I used to describe what I did to folks was I said, I do Google things. I do queries and um, I analyze language as numbers. Mm -hmm. But now I think because folks have home devices, they are much more uh, mobile phone centric, that what I do is a little less foreign. So one argument I may say is that 
AI is a broad domain. Natural mm-hmm. language processing is a subdomain. Mm-hmm. Machine learning, which is a very uh, hot topic, sure. also overlays this domain. But machine learning is something that's been used in math and statistics, and it's not purely a natural language processing uh, technique nor mm-hmm. an AI technique. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? No, I think you did. Uh, so... We hear all three of those terms yeah. tossed around a lot, whether you're looking you know, in marketing and PR, in actual white papers and actual research that come out. What would you say the baseline definition is for artificial intelligence and machine learning? And I'd, I'd throw yeah. natural language processing into that as well. Uh, that could help. What are the definitions that can help under, somebody understand if what they're using and what they're talking about actually represents an instance of those technologies. Excellent. I would describe artificial intelligence as an approximation of human intelligence. Human intelligence, in my opinion, is about Mm decision-making. So artificial intelligence is the use of past human decisions or human data to make future predictive decisions. That is AI. Machine learning is a set of mathematical algorithms for using those predictions and understanding the patterns of, in this case, natural language Mm -hmm. or, more broadly, vision. Artificial intelligence has uh, many subdomains, but machine learning is a mathematical approach that has been used in statistics more broadly than just NLP or AI. I see. And NLP is specifically around processing t- uh, voice signal and language. That works. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> accurate to characterize them as technologies that work with one another exactly. in different ways. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, when I was in grad school, my favorite class was data-intensive linguistics. Now that's called Uh, statistical machine learning. Mm -hmm. These are similar topics, but it's how we view data and the value that we place on algorithms. And, you know, algorithms have always had a role, but now it's very sexy and important to say, I do machine learning as opposed to I do AI. Yeah. And, you know, I I think about this, for instance, in the last week, there was a big announcement that MIT is starting a new college Mm -hmm. with, you know, AI in the title. I feel like there was a similar announcement from maybe uh, uh, one or two other universities within the past year. Uh, Carnegie Mellon, Mm -hmm. I think, maybe said something. So now there's an expectation that not only is this a part of our computer science department, it's actually a focus of an entire school that we have here. So is is that... just marketing going on there for the college or I mean or has has there really has AI really become an extra thing in addition to software computer science that needs to be its own thing is there really a demand for that I think it's a little bit of a marketing uh, push but I also think more broadly interdisciplinary research at universities is very important I've noticed with my friends and colleagues over the last 20 years that folks who are in psychology or folks who are in sociology who were also uh, programmers or had a data analyst perspective the ability to use SQL queries or data crunch they really had advantages Mm -hmm. and so we would kind of say hey that's a 
technical sociologist. That's a technical mm-hmm. uh, psychology student. Yeah. On deck right now, we have situations where people are saying, hey, is this machine learning versus just classic statistics? Mm-hmm. So I think it is half marketing, but I think it's a broader dissemination of tools and skills that could be useful to people in all different domains. And so I think that machine learning, this approach of how do we record data, mm-hmm. you know, that could be your lift travels or what you choose on Netflix, what are your decisions and how we use those moving forward have a basis for many different domains. And so I think it's great that we're coalescing behind some shared naming conventions. I also think that it's really important to not get to understand what we're talking about and not get too sucked into the uh, whatever the buzzword of the day is. Yeah, we've we've seen yeah. a few buzzwords yeah. come and go. This <laughs> this next question will get into something I was going to talk to you about a little bit later, but I think it's appropriate right now. In, in talking about these multi multidisciplinary approaches, you know, I mean, I, I I've personally worked with journalists who are also database people, you know, who could do coding and had, had computer science backgrounds. There are, I mean, are we looking at the day where, say, you're an accountant who's also an AI expert, or you're a law, lawyer who's also an AI expert, and that these are like types of skills, are these going to be as commonly looked for by employers as, say, a lawyer who uses Microsoft Office products? I think someone who has those skills might actually be the CEO or VP at a big company because the holy grail right now is domain expertise plus AI. AI has been very popular in domains that were already super technical. Mm -hmm. So understanding images of cancer, so Mm -hmm. uh, scans in a hospital, does this lung have cancer or not have cancer? Mm-hmm. That's an obvious use case that people are really understanding. This analysis and predictions could help us view many more lung images. It could help us be a multiplier for how many people we could help and how quickly we could help them, especially where time is of the essence. Mm-hmm. More broadly, there are so many things that we as Americans view every day as just a known important part of our lives that have zero AI. So I think it's really important to understand culturally in Silicon Valley how we really support expertise. Mm -hmm. We like to and strongly culturally support someone who is an expert. Mm -hmm. So experts in a domain that is not heavily infiltrated by AI need to either align with other folks who have that expertise, or if you happen to have that expertise, you could be a visionary starting your own company or aligning with other folks who think the same way. Mm -hmm. I do, to your second point, think that there's a lot of positive job future for those folks who are simply an expert without the AI, because if you are tech savvy and perhaps not too calcified in your um, daily work life, you're going to see more and more uses and versions of AI creep into that life. And ideally, they wouldn't be bad experiences, they would actually be very human-centric. You mm-hmm. know, so think of a good website. These would be tools and solutions that you use every day that would inform your expertise, maybe take your ideas, your decisions, and allow you to do more work more quickly, uh, personalize your work. 
have intuitions that you already had, but surface them very quickly. That's an interesting space that you're describing there, and it's kind of what I wanted to to get into with you on this subject. Because you hear all, the, you can find any number of. New York Times, Bloomberg, or whatever article saying, you know, robots are coming for your jobs. jobs creepy robots. Right, creepy robots. It's the big, you know, it's the big, you know, scare headline on dystopia. On these, dystopia, you know. But is that is, is that a realistic way to look at it? Is it a face of what to expect and ex- people should expect to deal with? Or are we just looking at a new software suite that people are going to be using on their desks to make their work a little more efficient? I think culturally... Humans have a hard time with change. And I think that these headlines, I give a presentation to visiting experts uh, from uh, Orange and some of our business partners regularly where I broach this topic because I think that if we internalize technology as scary and bad, it has a really negative Influence on our future lives and the way that we even think about the objects in our lives around us. Mm-hmm. I, I can go back to this yeah, about yeah. reflection, about what these um, robots and tools can do, but I think that this is done in part to sell newspapers, and I think that the folks who are often writing the articles or reading the articles have really good reason to be alarmed. But I do think that the um, the stories that are surfacing, be them about lack of ethics in Silicon Valley or problematic errors, are really valuably... How do I say this? It's important that we reflect on them, Mm -hmm. but I think that any technology is a reflection of the ethical and moral underpinnings of the humans using it, Mm -hmm. and it makes me very alarmed that we should say no to a technology without understanding how it was built, what the data underlying the technology was, how we can correct it if we oversee it and notice there are problems, because we seem to have done pretty well with steam and electricity Mm -hmm. and the internet so far. Sure. So I'm I'm wary to... It's a recurring theme. What you're touching (laughs) on there, it's a recurring theme in a lot of conversations I have, is that the data has to come from somewhere. The decision yes. on what data to feed these things yes. has to come from somewhere. And there's a skill set associated with making those decisions, right? I think this is really about human data and bias. Mm-hmm. So machine learning in some aspect is trying to understand what the bias is in yeah. a data set. Yeah. Those biases are things like a pattern, a signal that says at 3 p.m., folks in the Tallahassee Walmart are going to make more purchases. That's a really valuable bias and signal to uh, Walmart store folks saying, hey, maybe we could do uh, an additional... Discount or offer. Exactly. Maybe we could could upsell on that. Mm -hmm. That's... I see merit in that. The only thing that we forget to mention is that all data is biased, Mm -hmm. and it's important to understand where that data came from and understand if you are reinforcing bias and if you are breaking uh, rules about bias, be it fair housing, uh, equal access to employment, and then more broadly, you're in the GDPR. There's other ramifications. Sure. Any, any number of issues that are ethically or legally definable. 
Yeah, I, yeah sure. I agree. Sure. I also think that this is becoming so... I think that people are speaking negatively about AI because maybe as a community, we're realizing that there does need to be some regulation or shared ways of discussing <laughs> yeah. the power that these algorithms have in our lives. Well, let, let's switch gears into the, the natural language processing portion of the questions I had for you here. Is, is natural language process, processing primarily a means of humans and machines interfacing with each other? Is it, how would you describe its role in the technology stack? That's a, that's a great way of actually defining NLP. So, yeah. so natural language processing is an attempt to understand natural language, so that yeah. would be you know, French, English, a spoken or written mm-hmm. language, by a machine that, as we know, speaks a different language. So we have this domain to some degree is called human-computer interaction, mm-hmm. and we have changed the way that we engage with computers over the since the beginning of computers. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, the introduction of the mouse. We've had the introduction of the touchpad. We are now more and more using voice and gesture. So we have more cameras and screens in our world that are no longer just unidirectional. They're not just providing us with information, but we're engaging with them. Yeah. Does that mean that it's totally natural? No. The way we search for... It is sort uh, of an aspirational way to refer to it. It right? is, yeah. it is. But we search for information on Google mm-hmm. and other... I, I've heard that there are other ways to find information mm-hmm. on the Internet. Yeah. In a way that is stilted, mm-hmm. it's not the way that you would ask a friend. Yeah. And I think that it's important for us to realize that we are very adaptable. We we're flexible. Yeah. Computers are less so. So that raised a great point. But natural language processing is often a way for us to get at answers that matter to us. And the computer is just the database. It's just yeah. a storehouse. Yeah. Well, that's that. This is what I also wanted to ask you about this. A lot of people have learned how to search and search better on Google with, you know, Boolean search mm-hmm. formatting and things. Mm-hmm. Should I expect that people are going to start speaking in ways that are the best ways to communicate with machines? Or is yes. there a world coming very soon where people start to try to speak in the way they think the machines would like to be spoken to? I'm already that, doing yeah, that. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm yelling at my What's Alexa all the time. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. And, and it's... Um, not like talking to a small child because you can reason and you can use your physicality. There's gesture. You know, there's an intentionality when we mm-hmm. speak to one another. Why are we here? Why are we having this mm-hmm. conversation? We're trying to talk about NLP and mm-hmm. share information about some really cool cutting edge technology. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page. We want to be here. Alexa does not have an identity. It yeah. does not have a page. <laughs> and so my queries are... Alexa, set a timer for seven minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm giving these these commands. Alexa, how tall is Tom Cruise? You know, I'm getting information back, but it's hard to chain it and to turn it into a conversation. There are some inroads. Soundhound is a great company that allows you to chain questions, give great context. Mm-hmm. But we have changed the way we talk to these devices. I think that we're just at the beginning and I have a lot of empathy for anyone who's fights with their home device. I also think that even before speaking at a device, you know, I've hated the search from uh, the 
the Netflix app, yeah. right? So there's a lot mm-hmm. of ways that we even have kind of said, no, this is how search works, that when you change the format, it annoys us. So this is a this is a dance that we're doing with technology, and we're the builders. You know, we can say, hey, this is annoying. Mm-hmm. Necessity, mother of all invention. On the other side of that, from the, the software's perspective, I guess, in what ways is it approaching being able to communicate like a human or what's the, how would you compare the capability of communication on the machine on, on, on the machines end right now in the NLP world I think we've made incredible uh, progress yeah. if anyone used uh, Siri a decade ago yeah that was really frustrating but these are now assistants. These, I think that we're um, in a very positive direction, and you know this has a lot to do with practice because mm-hmm. these devices are made more smart the more we use them. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could tell me what what are the stories right now in the news that you're watching about these, or what are the companies and products that you see coming out that are doing interesting things in the NLP world? Um, I, I'm saying this is you know maybe from the perspective of somebody who knows AI, they've heard about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and this is the first time they've heard about it, what uh, what should they be paying attention to? I think that there are a lot of interesting inroads in emotion detection. Yeah. One of the things that's important uh, to understand is that I'm giving commands to my home device, but my home device does not understand that I'm pissed off and I'm becoming escalatingly pissed off yeah. uh, with each repetition. It has a um, software class that has probably increased intensity of voice, mm-hmm. but that maybe does, doesn't map to, um, we should escalate this to a human. Yeah. And so I, I think that emotion detection is very interesting. It's also pretty powerful because there are situations in a, talking to a uh, customer support worker where I would really like to be escalated to a human. On the other hand, um, you know, some people are more emotive than others. I think that there's a lot of work with emotion detection that could be used positively with people who are on the spectrum, uh, understanding feedback. You know, humans are not great at emotion detection, why would we expect computers to be out of the box? Yeah. Do you ever see that on the horizon where machines might be better at detecting emotions than people are? No, I think, well, I think for some folks, but I've, I've been yeah. looking at interesting projects that are helping people who have uh, low emotional intelligence, uh, and that's a non-technical <laughs> phrase, yeah, but, sure. but who have been working sorry. with uh, lack of affect mm-hmm. to understand what may be a more mainstream understanding of emotion. So there is a lot of research um, in Europe about this. I see. Uh, Is there anything else you'd want to throw out there in terms of important things people should be watching if they want to understand this technology better? I think that understanding what what data you are putting out there. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'm the first person to have mentioned this, but you know, our data is really valuable. Some of the technologies we've been looking at uh, with Orange Silicon Valley have to do with sound printing and security using our voices or security using other um, biometric information. Interesting. So if you think that your voice is a metaphorical 
version of your soul or a a literal personal identifier, um, it might be challenging to deal with a future that... Where your voice is in all these databases. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But what's the flip side? The flip side is that you don't have to spend as much time on the phone with your bank because Mm -hmm. they know who you are. Uh, You don't have to give your your mother's maiden name or the last four of your social. On the other hand, um, anytime there is data out there, there's uh, some cause to reflect on how it's being maintained and controlled. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Well, let me wrap this up then by saying uh, who out there should reach out to you here at Orange Silicon Valley? Who who are you working with and what kinds of uh, information are you looking with? Are you looking for startups or looking for people working in corporate roles? Uh, I'm interested in chatting with both Mm -hmm. because we do have a really great B2B. We have information sessions that are Mm -hmm. applicable to um, many members of the Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area community, especially those who are... Now, looking to learn more about Orange's business offerings, not just in the UK, in Europe, but in the Bay Area. Uh, But I'm very, very interested in sourcing and understanding local startups that are in natural language processing. So text classification, a lot of the underlying challenges for natural language processing is deciding what class a text should be in. And a text could be a snippet or a paragraph. So is it positive sentiment? Is this about an opinion piece? Classifying information is one of the core components of uh, natural language processing. So anyone, again, interested in sound printing for security, emotion detection, Reach out to me. I'm uh, chatbots. <laughs> We've got a lot of projects afoot. It's great. I'm going to wrap up here then, Sarah. Thanks again for sitting down. Thanks for joining us on the Orange Silicon Valley Bistro Cast. We're glad you could be a part of the conversation. Between episodes, be sure to follow all of our events and reports on orangesv.com, as well as on LinkedIn, Medium, Twitter, and our weekly email newsletter, The Main Cable. We'll see you there, as well as at our live events, such as the Future Value of Data workshop coming up on October 30th. Last, special thanks to Alice Brissett and Colette Wright for their production assistance on this episode today. I'm Brian Mormon, and we'll be back soon.